Happy Thursday and welcome to Not Boring Founders. I'm Packy McCormick, I'm your host. I write the Not Boring newsletter and I invest out of Not Boring Capital. I wanted to launch the Not Boring Founders podcast to give all of you a chance to meet the founders in the Not Boring portfolio and to let those founders tell their story in their own words. This is an experiment, so I want your feedback. I hope to do a lot more of these so that you can meet all the great founders that I get a chance to meet. And what I really want it to feel like is the conversation that I'm having with these founders anyway. It's a good chance to kind of catch up with them. And we're hitting record and letting you in on the conversation. So I hope you like it. Before we get to today's guest, I want to introduce our sponsor for the podcast, Cometeer. So Cometeer, if you follow me on Twitter, if you read the newsletter, Cometeer is my favorite coffee. I drink three of these things a day. They come in these frozen capsules that you just melt, add water, and then you have a cup of coffee that is as good or better than what you're going to get from most coffee shops, all for $2 a pod. And for not boring listeners, if you haven't tried Cometeer before, you can go to cometeer.com slash not boring to get 50% off your first order. I promise you just need to try this coffee. It's maybe the only thing that I've ever promoted where the feedback has 100% universally been positive. I don't know if I've ever met somebody who didn't love Cometeer. So go try it at cometeer.com slash not boring. Now let's get to it. I have a great guest here today. I have Chris Toy from Marketer Hire, longtime sponsor of the newsletter, one of my favorite not boring portfolio companies. And Chris is just an all around great guy who's, who's been building businesses for a little while. So really excited to dive in. Chris, welcome to Not Boring Founders. Thanks. Thanks. Good to be here. So to kick it off, and this is pretty basic, but to kick it off, Tell us what Market Hire does. So it's a on-demand talent platform. You know, some, some nice buzzwords there, but basically, you know, it, it's a platform marketplace and depending on how you define those things. There's a demand side, supply side. On the supply side, we get, you know, thousands of applications from marketers putting through our sort of rigorous vetting process that gets it down to about 3% make it onto the platform. And then through the, through the tech and, and product, we are able to serve those marketers up as matches to companies who want to hire them, essentially on demand. So at the risk of bringing back, you know, long dead startup cliches, there is an Uber for X element to it uh, that we're trying to achieve where, you know, you may know what you need as far as a, a marketer hire, but you also may not. And, and that's a lot of our customers don't really quite know what they need or what they think they know, and we have to correct it. But if you come to our product, come to our platform, we'll work on that with you get you matched to a marketer in about two to three days. And, you know, majority of the time, customers end up hiring that marketer within about a week or so. So, you know, coming down to hiring time quite considerably. Yeah. One of the obvious, I guess, discrepancies between the model uh, and Uber is that Uber will kind of let anybody drive and then let the rating system work itself out. You're in the background kind of picking and choosing one, who a good marketer is, and then who the right marketer is for a specific company and a specific job. How does that part of the process work? Yeah, you know, if you know, if you know marketplaces, I mean, you obviously do, but you know, it, it's what's called a managed marketplace. So it's not just open free for all. There's some element of, of management and, and that changes depending on the market. You know, for us, there's management on both sides, kind of like I was talking about, you know, from a product perspective and, and me kind of being in, marketing for 20 years, you know, doing it for all kinds of companies, startups, big brands, you know, one of the things that I sort of really knew and, and had been very often having to solve and also kind of willfully letting it go unsolved in many cases is the easier way to make money, especially if you're on the, on the agency side is there are often misaligned expectations and understanding, you know, really of any hire, right? Like any hire, if you went and read a JD, the people on the, on the side applying for the JD are often like, this job description makes no sense, but sure, I'll apply for it. So you kind of have to like correct all that. So for us, there's management on both sides. On the on the supply side, you know, we're really trying to find that best talent and understanding what that means on a by role basis. You know, we have 12, 13 roles, very specific across dozens of attributes, what those roles actually do, how to be good at it. a lot of like both qualitative and quantitative uh, evaluations. And then using, you know, the best marketers to be a part of that vetting process. So it, it's a very rigorous process, both data-driven worldview, you know, using the best talent to be the evaluator and kind of work your way through that to get to not only who's going to be a great marketer, like who's a great marketer, 
but who's going to be a great marketer that can work in this sort of future of work basis, which is, you know, send someone in as uh, a, a new team member and they're meant to be ready to get started next week. You know, there's no like 60, 90 day onboarding. Who's going to be a great freelancer is separate from who's a great marketer. And so we look for both of those things, both up front and then, you know, ongoing. So, so that's really key. And, you know, when we started two and a half years ago, it was all hypotheses about what that meant. And, and, it, and you know, I was doing all the interviews myself, but by now we have you know, a lot of data, a lot of marketers who have proven themselves over a very long period of time. It's all about taking speech. And, you know, so, Amazing. so I, I'm pretty new uh, at being a podcast host and maybe a little bit too ADD to be good at it. I've already skipped asking about your background, which we'll get to. <laughs> you mentioned a couple of things in there that I really want to dig into, but one, you mentioned kind of this future of work piece. It's something that I've written about and been really interested in. Obviously, I'm, we're both working from uh, the comfort of our own homes right now. What are you seeing out there? There's a lot <laughs> There's a lot of you know talk on both sides on Twitter. The office is dead. The office is not dead. Full-time employment is dead. Full-time employment is not dead. What are you seeing kind of on the front lines? You know, you know, a little bit good market of hire started before, you know, before COVID and, you know, our, our concept of the future of work and my concept of the future of work, you know, hasn't changed. It's simply been accelerated, you know, probably 15 years. I think what's changed, it, it's less, you know, people are trying to make it binary, right? And, and most things aren't binary. I, I think when, when we look at it and say, well, what's changed and, you know, isn't going to change, it's that, you know, essentially every company in the world has you know, had over a year now to try out remote work, to try out remote work, try out flexible work, to be fully tested in their concepts of, you know, what work is and to get comfortable with it and, and to build operations and workflow and to, you know, in our case, like turn to hiring from a platform like ours when maybe they wouldn't have, you know, pre-COVID because they were really zeroed in on having someone come to the office and sit with the team. And so all that got accelerated and, and when everyone kind of builds that muscle, you know, that doesn't really go away. Like everyone's now comfortable with it. And then on, on the talent side with our marketers, same thing. Suddenly when you're not in the office, you're like, well, I could just get a second monitor and pick up another 30% income consulting, you know, especially if I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm an ad buyer, like just treat it like you're a, you're a day trader. Just have like 12 monitors and just be like, you know, buy media. And probably doing both, right? Like you're, you're just even more in the market. You're probably better for yeah, both companies exactly. if you're doing it for both. And, and the thing for marketers is like, that's what makes you a better marketer. You know, the, the, the more scenarios you can run through and for companies, you know, they're kind of realizing that like, like there's kind of two parts to it. It's like, what makes the best marketer? And, and a lot of talent, I mean, a lot of professions, but marketing especially, like getting through those repetitions of different scenarios, different companies makes you better. And so to have mark, your, your, your marketing team potentially be freelancing on the side, as long as they're doing their work and doing it well with you, like that's like them continuing their education on the side. Like why, why, why wouldn't you want them to continue to refine and, and own their skills on someone else's dime, right? Like you don't have to pay them to do that. They're doing that in their own spare time, getting better at their job. Like that's amazing. And so like all these things that were really, when you say them out loud, make sense and sound amazing. And when we started market to hire, what things were like, you know, I was coming up, I mean, I know we didn't quite cover it, but I was coming up from, you know, being an entrepreneur myself and running my own agency and all my friends were like, wow, you're so lucky. Like, you, you know, you, you run your own agency. I'm like, well, one, it's a lot of work, but two, I, I, I was like, well, what really is the difference between me? You know, I'm, I'm a fine marketer, but there's nothing like it wasn't because I was such a good marketer that I was able to get freedom and, 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 and you know, develop my own work how I wanted be remote. That wasn't because I was a great marketer. That was because of all these other things. That's really nothing to do with marketing. And so the future of work to me is like, well, if you have these platforms like Market to Hire that take care of all those things that are really nothing to do with you being necessarily good at your work, that has stopped you from living this very like idyllic, much more preferred lifestyle of freedom while also earning for the skills you have. Well, those platforms are going to, you know, are going to change. And, and that's kind of one of the things that always, when you look at big, you know, seismic changes. Yes, it's a desire from the market, but you have to have the right solution that, that facilitates, you know, that desire. And so for us, take on the company side, just jumping around, every company, let alone startups, right? Want to be faster, want to be leaner, want to be more flexible, want to be more, more agile. Cool, cool, cool. 
So why is your hiring strategy to take like three months to find like a rock star ninja unicorn that you're going to load up with, with equity on a five-year vest and hang on to that person forever? Like that doesn't seem to go with that first plan. Well, the other, the other part of it too, right? Is that like one of the things that I keep hearing from companies is that remote actually is great. It's really, really hard to build culture and you have all these employees that you feel like you need to take care of all around the world. It's kind of something nice. And I never thought about market hire this way, about hiring someone who doesn't need to be a deep part of the culture, who's there to do the job. I, I'm, I'm going through, you know, trying to get a renovation going on my house. I'm like, just imagine if I was like, well, I need the electrician to like fit my family's culture. Be like, like, do you? Like, like, don't you just have to kind of come in and like do the work, right? And like, and like all these things are wrapped in. It's like, why do you need them to feel like they're part of your family? Why do you need to lock them up? If you kind of like really go through to the actual answer from the people hiring, very often you end up with, because it's so hard to hire, right? Because it's so hard to hire and find the people who can do the work well, I have to like build this thing that locks everybody in and like try and make everybody stay forever. Like that's it because it's so hard to hire. So if you solve it being hard to hire, like which is what we're trying to do, where suddenly you can hit this button and, and trust that the right person will show up in two to three days, ready to start, totally vetted, totally trustworthy. If you knew that that was available, suddenly all this rest of the stuff, like why would you want so much heaviness? Like why do you need all that stuff, right? That's all in service of trying to keep people at your company forever because it's so hard to hire, right? And so like fix the root, fix the, the, the disease, not the symptom, right? And then like, if you're an employee, how often are you like, wow, I really want to go somewhere and just be like locked there forever until I die. Like, that's not what anyone really wants. And so everyone's kind of realizing that now. And, and what COVID has done is, you know, remote is one small part of it. What everyone's looking at is like, man, like, it's not just how much I earn, it's how I earn it. And what are my options for how I earn it, right? And so remote is this very like in your face fight. But for us and the future of work, it's really all of it. It's really all of it. It's not just you know, remote's a small part of it, right? What does a typical engagement look like? And I, I ask because one of the things that I like most about working for myself, and I have a bunch of meetings, but it's not having those like just regular scheduled meetings that you have to show up to and half the time everyone shows up and they're like, why are we, why are we in this meeting again? <laughs> so like, when you're coming in as a marketer and marketer hire, are you like really diving in and betting in the culture. I'm sure there's a range, but the, kind of the the standard or typical marketer hire marketer, are they coming in and like showing up to those meetings and like trying to be part of the culture for three months? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, what we tell both sides is like, you know, like freelance and freelancer and yeah, why well, really need someone full time? Like, well, we have full time. Like what you're really saying is you want someone in house and you feel like in house is, is like different in their motivation. like. Like, where's the difference, right? Because there's like taxation and employment classification, which is like W2 versus 1099. And like, those are real things. The rest of it is just like hinting and sort of being like passive aggressive about concepts of like control and culture, right? You're like, what are you really saying? And so, you know, I forget freelancers also get a stigma. So, you know, what we, talk, what we tell both sides is during onboarding and, and help them with, and, and we've done this at, at scale with our enterprise clients, you know, our very large clients hiring a lot of people they really wanted us to work with their internal teams and help coach them on some of this stuff. And, and that's enterprise, right? So they have to like, there's additional revenue fees with that, right? And that's not our core platform. But we tell them like, don't treat them any differently. Like, like you know, think of it as, you know, pieces. Like you, you have this much of this job, you know, resourcing for this job that needs to be done. And you have this much for this job that needs to be done. And like, if, if this is 10 hours and this is 180 hours, like, like okay, like that's just... Yeah, it's just different. If you want them to come to meetings, if you want them to come to daily status, if you want them to never come to meetings and never talk to anybody, like that's up to you. And and, and kind of like in the broader, like yes, it's part of remote work, but like is it really any different to any other work? Where like as a company, yeah, you gotta figure out how your company works, right? And like and I operate, and I, and that's been part of like the stigma of hiring a freelancer for certain industries, especially startups, who like have, you know, kind of like really coming around to the idea now, but I've always constantly felt like I had to find this rock star who worked there forever. You go to every other company in every other industry, there's tons of contractors there. There are contractors who have been there for like 10 years, right? It, again, it's just a designation, a, a worker designation for them. So, you know, market to hire, a big part of where 
the first thoughts for me got, got started was in my agency jobs, you know, 20 years ago when people would leave and I would find out they were contractors. And I was like, wait, so like, you never worked here? They're like, like no, I, I worked here. Like you saw like, I was here <laughs> like nine to nine, like you every day. I've been here for like seven years. I just was always a 1099. And I was like, I don't even know what people are saying here, right? Like, cause I always, at 23 years old, I always thought, oh, freelancer, contractor, you don't really work here. But he sat right next to me doing the exact same job I was doing. They just weren't, you know, W2. And so like that was already in the back of my mind from, from the agency world. And then now I think, you know, again, with marketer hire, it's like, how do we build a transformative product that kind of like takes that and says, okay, like now it's a tech product. And what's the tech product version of that that gives the advantages of that agility and the, and the scaling up and scaling down that industries like the agency war, which is like one of the most ruthless hiring environments of any profession, why do they lean on contractors? Because that's the only way that they can have the agility to win a client, lose a client, win a client, lose a client at scale, right? And so we kind of like transport some of that over to startups or anyone else. It's what everyone would want. There just hasn't been a, you know, they, they wouldn't, they, would, they wouldn't want to do the work yep. that agents have to do to make it happen right and so enter the new product and then and then that's all so you mentioned uh, your agency experience you mentioned when you were 23 years old so this is as good a chance as any for me to remedy my mistake and go back to your background where'd you grow up how did you decide that you wanted to get into marketing in the first place how did you decide entrepreneurship is that in your background i guess your whole kind of life story well, so you know, I born and raised in Hong Kong, you know, entrepreneurship, not necessarily, well, actually kind of in the family. My, my, my um, grandfather on my mom's side was a very successful Hong Kong, uh, entrepreneur in Hong Kong, um, had a bunch of like shoe stores, eventually like real estate, stuff like that. So it was very successful as an entrepreneur. My, but my mom and my dad were entrepreneurs in like a sort of corporate way. You know, my mom was one of the first female leaders at the main newspaper in Hong Kong running their classifieds business, which, you know, is the money maker. So like that was, you know, I, I was always aware that that was different. My mom was in that position. My dad was, but my mom and my dad are Australian. I'm Australian as well by, by path, by nationality. My dad was technically an expat in Hong Kong, right? With the British government as an Australian, but was ethnically Chinese. So again, I kind of have these things where I'm like, well, we're not, and I, we're kind of like doing some stuff not everyone's doing <laughs> as, as a family. So I always had that in there. And then Hong Kong, you know, you get sent away to college in the, in the, in England or the U S So again, like there's just constantly this thing of like, we're just going to shove you in places that maybe you're not meant to be. And like, that's normal. Right. So I think that kind of, I've done a lot of like retroing of like, of, of why we ended up here. Because my, my brother is a very successful entrepreneur and it wasn't like pushed on us you know my, my mom probably would rather of us both been doctors or whatever but now you know so that was kind of it and then you know during college just really you know in in the states so i went to northwestern for university two of my co-founders actually were we were at northwestern together raja and viral and you know while there really kind of got into seeing frankly america and like all the commercialism and like remembering that back home in hong kong I would see these Nike commercials on TV. And we would have local Hong Kong commercials, which were like terrible. And then we would get these like Nike soccer commercials would come on every now and then. And it was like watching a movie. And I just remember like being like, whoa, that's so cool. Like, I, you know, I kind of want to do that. So, you know, got to, got to university and wanted to go into it. And so I ended up doing some bunch of internships, you know, back in Hong Kong and kind of, that's what I wanted to do. You know, so graduating was actually like deciding between going into advertising and marketing or, or going to culinary school, funnily enough, because my, my dad was also like a, a chef at his parents' restaurant. And so he did a lot of cooking in our family. I ended up going into advertising and then there you go. And started specifically in direct response marketing, which in 2003 was like telemarketing, direct mail, like all, it's all data driven, yeah. which interested me. The data driven stuff is what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do brand, even though, even though that's like more fun and more glamorous, I wanted to do the data stuff after I looked into it more scientific. And of course, direct response marketing agencies become the digital agencies, right? Data-driven marketing comes out. So very fortuitous and kind of was able to be there for the last 20 years as digital and the internet like changes, not only the, you know, the world, but also turns an entire industry in, mar in marketing advertising, you know, turns that upside down. You know, it, 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 if you're a doctor, a lawyer, whatever it is, other, other jobs, like the internet and digital, like kind of is there, 
right? But it didn't completely change how your job is done. You might right? do scheduling like, online or something. Yeah, you know, now, now I have my, my files are on the server or not, you know, over here, right? Whereas for marketing advertising, it's like, okay, this is a totally different now, right? And, and, and that's kind of like where I think also from a opportunity perspective, like, you know, marketing to me is like an apex predator industry, right? It's like, no matter what happens, like there we are, like you know, on top. Like someone's got to figure out how to connect whatever the hell the world is making with the people who need it, and like that's an everything answer. And so I think with you know, we talk about with marketing and market hire, like what digital the internet did was make marketing now accessible to every kind of company, right? If you're at a local restaurant in the middle of nowhere you can still have an Instagram account and it can still help you. And so like every kind of company now has access to customers online right, and marketing online. And so now every kind of company, no matter what size or category, like has marketing, right? And that wasn't true, you know, even maybe 10 years ago. What's the, and so, and yeah. sorry to interrupt, but like what's, what's the smallest kind of company that you work with? Are you working with the restaurants in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our, our long tail looks like, you know, a very classic, some of the big, you know, if you think of maybe like a, Shopify, I mean, that's too narrow because it's just e-commerce, but like, we'll go from Fortune 500, same exact product experience, down to like, single owner cafe in, you know, North Carolina somewhere, right? Like, and, and that's the thing. And they'll be like, hey, can I get someone like, three hours a week to help me with my Instagram to get whatever? And we're like, yep. And here's this like, amazing marketer who worked on all these, you know, brands and large restaurant chains. and like, they'll do two hours a week for you because they think that's kind of cool. And like, that's just insane, right? So like that very classic, like internet access to things that's the biggest possible disruption. Like that's what's really awesome about what we're building is there was no chance that that cafe was ever going to be able to hire yeah. like, this person. And vice versa, that person who took, who's interested in that, in that gig is like, oh, it's so cool. I'm like, you know, taking all my skills and that I learned in big corporations or whatever, and, and now I'm all startups and now I'm applying it to, you know, a very different kind of business. That is not where I would have, you know, gone and tried to work with it, but it sounded super interesting and maybe they like food or, or there's something about that opportunity that interests them and, and now they're connected. It's perfect um, for so, yeah. you, right? The guy who was thinking about culinary school and then ended up in, in marketing. To... <laughs> yeah. This might be a really dumb question, but like what percentage difference in quality of marketer you're able to have work for you? Do you think there is because of something like a marketer hire? And that's an open and stupid question, but I'll, I'll just you leave it out if, there. If you're, the, if you're the business, like how much better is the marketer you can get work for you? Yeah, and that could be a small oh. business for whom it's impossible or so even for like- A huge difference, a huge difference. And, and here's why. Every, sadly, as much as everyone wants to hire the, the let's just say, the, forget the best, right? But like the, the top X decile, not everyone can hire them because the best people have a ton of really good options. They probably have a really good job. They probably have offers every other week to hire them in-house and say, again, in, in the current way that we think about that, come give me like, Patrick, are you ever gonna go work for someone else again? No. Like, come come give me like four years of your life, Patrick, right? <laughs> you're like, well, pretty high bar, that, right? Like pretty high bar for me to do that. Right. And so it's options. And so, and so like for, for any company, like you said, all the way up to Fortune 500 that come to us, like they can't get the right people because they're looking for a certain kind of maybe startup person, whatever, with a certain set of skills, come work at X Fortune 500 company for four years. Like mm, probably not. Right. But you can get them to freelance for you. Right. Because if you, if you, if you get rid of all this other stuff, which has nothing to do with like, Hey, what do you need done? I can help you with that. Can I also trap you for four years? Like, okay, well, <laughs> let's put that to one side. Right? You and you that. still like, get Nike on your resume as the marketer if you do it for three months, if you yeah, do it for four years. Right? And, and, like, and, like, and like, why wouldn't you want that? And it's like fun to work. And again, sometimes it's fun to work on something and build it for like five years, like 10 years, whatever it is, of course, right? So, but the bar for what that has to be is so high. Right. Um, and the only way to make people not realize it's high is to like suppress their options, which is what the, the hiring environment generally does. And so when you suddenly have all these options, right? So, so we'll often get our customers who want to hire their marketer and bring them in house. The reason it doesn't happen as often is because the marketer doesn't want to go in house. They're like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, 
Like, let's just, like, date lightly. I'm good at this. I only, like, marry everybody, right? Imagine everyone just wants to marry you constantly, like, two weeks in. You're like, well, like, no, I don't. That's not what I'm here for, right? So so the delta is huge. The, the, the person you can get to freelance for you is vastly different. And so the three levels that we talked about is suitable, available, and interested. That makes a good match. And that's what you need, right? It sounds very simple. It is extremely hard to get all three. Right? It's extremely hard to know what suitable even is. If you talk to an average startup, hey, what are you trying to hire? All the people that get sent to me for advice, they have no idea who they're trying to hire. Yeah. Hey, I think it's this. Do you think that's right? I think this is this strategy. Do you think that's right? There is no right answer. It's all very scary, right? So what even is a suitable marketer for your business at a certain stage or certain available? That's hard, right? Who, who, who's like got time to freelance for you? Who's even freelancing or, or who can come work for you, whatever it is, available is hard. Interest is hard, right? So we'll, we'll get giant, the best companies you've heard of, giant companies, and they're like, yeah, we, we can find the people. They just don't want to come and do this with us, right? That's really hard. And so, you know, when we take care of all three, that's really what's transformative. It's like, here's a person who is what you need. They are available. They are interested. And they can stop, right? And like, or you can wait six months looking for some like, ephemeral, you know, rockstar ninja. You can do that too, but this person can start on Monday, right? And, and again, the Delta is always very, very high. I'm always, that's kind of the best thing for us when we see all kinds of companies. It's always like, it's so satisfying because, you, you know, look at this tiny company that would never have been able to get this person. That's really satisfying. And then it's also, look at this giant company, unicorn startup, whatever it is, that had to come to us in order to get this person that that's also really satisfying right because you would imagine they had all this like pipeline whatever it is but hiring is hard hiring super hard and so any kind of environment where you know, any of our customers it's always this massive shift for that hiring customer to be like whoa i can't believe you know i was able to get this person all the bigger companies is often i can't believe you finally sold this for us because we would we've been going 100 days 120 days million candidates but we still haven't made the hire but in a week we're done you know? you know obviously this way better than i do but i feel like there's this idea that particularly probably smaller companies have maybe bigger as well that when you're hiring like a really great marketer you're hiring the savior of the business like all of the problems go away because we have somebody now who can sell the product no matter how bad the product is no matter how x y and z how do companies view that when it is kind of a you know a, a con contracting thing or a shorter term thing is there less pressure on the marketer to kind of save everything? Is it a better kind of expectation match between the two? Yeah, I mean, I mean and this is like right in the juicy part of like future of work and like what we're trying, you know, what we're trying to push for is the understanding that, of course, through a product like ours, but we'll, but we'll save that sales pitch, right? But through a product like ours, think less about this person is the savior, but more again, just getting a suitable person in that seat can have this impact. And so we talk about like rematching is a feature, not a, you know, it's a feature, not a bug, right? Recycle it. If you, if you don't feel a good vibe, do a rematch, hit the button again. If suddenly three weeks in, you're not quite feeling the strategy you thought was your go-to-market, change, change it up again, bring in the CMO for two hours to like audit something, right? Like, like it's a, it's a process, right? It's a process. Embrace the process when you have a tool that allows you to follow a process and not put all your eggs on the savior, right? Like, like that's the thing that has to be, that really is transformative and for our customers as they use our product and learn that they can't trust it to do what it promises because it, it sounds too good to be true. But once they realize, oh, actually this works, they come back again and again because they're like, well, wait a minute. Well, now I might try this other strategy that we've been thinking about, but we're like, we're gonna do in six months. Maybe I'll just get someone in for like five hours so I keep the tired, like next week. Like, yeah, totally fine. If it doesn't work out, shut it off. Totally fine, right? And like, you, you kind of see in real time as you come back again and again, how much of their plans they are now, you know, kind of unraveling and changing and moving away from what you said. Like this one person, I, you know, I talked to a bunch of advisors. They said, this is the strategy. If I can find the rock star, we can do it. Like we're off to the races. Like that's really not what it it's is. It's just right? more flexible. Yeah. It's, it's just, a, it's a process, right? It's a, it's a, pursuit, especially for the startups who don't have pro market fit yet. What they also very often conflate is like, is how, well, confuses is like how effective and how key marketing is early on 
to adjusting bits of your product to find product market fit, right? And how important having a marketer, you know, how early should I hire a marketer? It's like, well, you, the marketer is the gateway to the market. And so what you're really saying is how often should I factor in the market? And like pretty early, like pretty early, right? How early should I factor in the market? Like probably pre-launch, right? Like that should probably be a pretty early thing for you to factor in versus just like, I'm just gonna work on this thing and assume, and just assume that I can sell it, right? Like all the way down to like stuff most stops never get to like pricing strategy. Like how many stops are just like, Three ninety nine, like let's <laughs> go, right? And again, it's because the culture and the heart, like, so much stuff is you can trace back to. I have to do it this way because I have to build the team and lock it in, and then chase down X. And like, if that's really what you have to do, then of course you have to like just bed into all these all of, all of these variables. But if you suddenly don't have to lock in the team, then suddenly you don't have to lock in those variables. And like, why wouldn't you want less variables? to be, to kind of be locked in or sooner than you have to. So yeah. Does marketer hire work better for one side of the equation? You said that you were drawn to kind of the direct response, the quantitative side of marketing, as opposed to the more glamorous brand side. Does marketer hire work better for the more quantitative side or is, you know, is brand a uh, longer term pursuit? Yes, yeah, sorry. It's a focus of ours right now. I wouldn't say it necessarily works better or worse. Just where we're focusing on these walls that are a little more repeatable. You know, creative can be tricky because you introduce subjectivity, right? It's like, oh, this person's great. Like, well, use a little more pastels than I would like. It's like, okay, well, they can do the job. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not worry about that, right? Even if you take, like, our, our most subjective role is probably like the social media marketer, okay? So when we do the social media marketer, very often the client will, you know, take a look at that previous, some of the previous brands they've worked for. And they'll say, well, those brands like are some of them are different aesthetic to what we have, right? I don't know if that if that marketer has the right aesthetic. I say, well, it's it's those brands aesthetic. Like the job is to show up, learn your aesthetic, and and then do it. So like like what are we talking about here, right? And like that that's a lot a lot of what we have to clean up and makes us successful is like cleaning up some of those misconceptions and and you know there's always there's always scope creep when it comes to a hire, right? Well, it'd be nice if like our email marketer also had a track record of really understanding like Gen Z, like, okay, like how about they just understand how to do like the work, right? Yeah. Like it's just like a very, right? And again, I get it, I totally get it. But when you add these things in, that's why people find hiring really hard, right? Because they're looking for someone to, yeah, they are trying to get it all done in one go because hiring is hard. It makes sense. And suddenly when, when hiring is not hard, you don't have to get it all in one go. So we'll very often end up placing like three or four marketers when they came in wanting one trackable trades unicorn. We're like, I get why you want that because hiring is hard and you don't want to have to go hire 10 people, so four people, but we can give you four people in 48 hours. So I know, okay, then yeah, fine, right? Is, <laughs> oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, I was just going to ask if the even kind of the more historically brand side is also becoming a bit more quantitative based on the pitches that I've seen from companies, you know, creative can change in a second. You can figure the UGC that works the best, like all of those types of things seem to at least be being worked on. Will we get to a spot in the next X number of years where everything is, is quantitative? I mean, I mean, I mean, it is now. I mean, it, it was it was back in the day too, right? I think I think it's not necessarily about it becoming quantitative. It's more about like it speeds up the cycles, right? It's like how fast you get that information. But what a lot of people who are building those tools or using that data, you know, you know I'm I'm often on the hey, can you help us with X and you know advice side of the equation for startups especially, but really all companies is like they're trying to quantify something and maybe doing it poorly or like they're just overcomplicating it, right? So let's just take like, I don't know, like focus groups, for example, right? I think that through an eight person focus group, I can get all the answers I need that your average startup would take like $10 million and like two years or whatever it is to probably still not answer. Right, I, I've never seen anyone who's worse at testing than your average doctor. Right, like they're just like that's not a real test. It's positive, it's false negative. Sample size is wrong. Your the person executing it is like the back end engineer because he took a growth course once. Okay, well, it turns out all your tests are terrible. Right, because again, I, I make a lot of food analogies. 
if I open a restaurant and I'm like, I'm going to open an Italian restaurant in this town because there is no Italian restaurant and there's a big Italian community, that sounds good. Good business decision. I'm going to be the chef. And people are like, well, wait a minute. Like, do you cook? No, but I'm going to learn to cook. I'm going to cook the food. And then after three months of like, everyone's like, this Italian food sucks. I'm going to be like, turns out this community does not want to have <laughs> Well, couldn't you, couldn't you A-B test your way to being a better cook? <laughs> is it spaghetti or is it the penne? Like, well, it's probably because you're a terrible chef and you should hire a chef, right? So, so there's a lot of that going on. And so, you know, when, when, I, when, when we think about brands, it's like, yes, it is going to get more quantified. But especially when you talk to like startups of really any size, like they're trying to come up with an answer for something that takes them from here to here, right? Like if we, if we just use AI and go over here, but also like the non-innovative solutions that have been around for decades would also get them like, like here, right? But they stay down here because they don't want to do the work. And so that's where, again, like somebody, I was like, how many, like, how many startups even think about brand? Well, I don't want to hire a big branding agency to come up with new logos and visuals. Like that's also not just what brand is, right? It's like, have you thought about meaningfully how to position and message your company to who you're trying to sell it to, right? Have you done that work? And they're like, well, how do we do that? Well, again, you can, if you can access the right time, we can help you. So yes, a lot of it's going to go that way. I talk about, you know, AI and, you know, and machine learning and all these like great stuff, but really, you know, AI's progress is all about language processing and image processing, right? Those are, those are really just the two anchors of what AI can do and is going to be able to do. And which industry relies on language processing and image processing? Like it's marketing again. Right. And so just like the internet was like the backbone of changing marketing and marketing in reverse in many good and horrifying ways, marketing drives the internet. Right. And likewise, AI is going to be the backbone of marketing and marketing is going to drive AI. Right. A lot of the uses that we are going to be affected by and aware of, of AI is going to be through marketing, whether we like it or not. <laughs> right. And so like, that's absolutely coming. And so it's probably going to be less about, am I going to get qualitative data on my brand? I bet my bet is that it flips even more severe where the AI and data is driving what my brand is. Not that I'm measuring it that way. Yeah. Kind of like the media buying on Facebook, right? Like that wasn't a, sh that was like a binary shift where I was like, I'm getting data on my ad spend to the algorithm is dictating my ad spend. So the data, of course, follows it, right? So like that shift, I think, is coming as well. So shifting gears a little bit to the business of Market Hire, obviously one of the things that got me attracted and made me want to invest in the first place, you're growing like absolutely, you know, just the, the numbers are crazy and I don't know what you're willing yeah. to share, but tell us <laughs> about the growth of the business and, you know, I guess first how the model works and then how it's growing. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like most market, you know, marketplaces, and especially managed marketplaces, you know, there, there's a supply side that that sets the, you know, our marketers set their own rate. They get a hundred percent of that, right, of that rate. So there's no commissions or anything. They do, you know, we, they, they get paid. And then there's a price that when a hire comes in, that there's a price that 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 will set for certain kinds of roles. Email marketer somewhere in this range, growth marketer somewhere in this range. And then there's a delta between those two things. And like, that's our take rate. And that take rate gets reinvested back into the business, of course, right? More operational staff, a lot of marketing advertising that generate more opportunities for our marketers. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's again, very, there's bits and pieces between like an Airbnb and an Uber that you can take in order, in order to really put together what, what we are. And, and again, for me, the ultimate form of a managed marketplace is with this on-demand aspect. This, this do it for you aspect, I think is also where I think the world's about to kind of shift back into, like, I don't want to be browsing Netflix for eight hours to find, you know, to find something to watch. I don't want to browse a million four-star restaurants and Uber Eats and have no idea really what the difference is. And I don't trust the algorithm because I can tell it's not a very, it's not really on point, right? Like Netflix recommended me some weird movie, I can tell I'm not going to like, I don't know what's powering that, but sure. Probably my wife watched a bunch of stuff that was not, that was not me and, and ruined the algorithm, right? So if you can actually deliver 
the exact matchup that person wants, why wouldn't you want it just done for you, right? I'd rather it just be done for me. That, that's why we do exact match. So that's kind of where we are, right? And, and so we're very progressive in all these aspects, right? We're like progressive in the future of work, both on the talent side and on the hiring side. And then we're progressive in the product. We're doing the hardest possible thing. Take data, technology, human intuition, psychology, product UX, you know, a lot of different things go into, you're gonna to come to us, you're gonna get on a 30 minute sales call, consultation call, we're gonna input that into our product. About 40 hours later, you're gonna get one person back and you're gonna hire that person. Like, no, it's not three and you pick, like you're gonna do exactly the hardest thing and we've been able to do that. And so having that thing that sounds too good to be true and then actually delivering on it, like that's how you get a transformative product, right? If you really hold that highest one. Same thing I tell the startups I advise. Like you gotta make it sound too good to be true and then your product has to do it Otherwise, what are you doing? You're building a lifestyle business. Easy. Right? If you're, if you're trying to build a tech startup that's changing something, it has to be too good to be true, and you have to deliver that thing. Otherwise, just bootstrap it, right? So so we that's been the anchor of our success you know, from day zero all the way to now, you know, two and a half years in, and both by our sort of like where we are today and our three-year forecast, you know, kind of middle of next year, you know, we're on, yeah, yeah, I'm probably not going to share a number because we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll get around, we're about to do some, we'll reveal some of that publicly, but I mean, you know, because you know the numbers, you know, we're on track to be one of the fastest growing B2B tech companies, you know, for the last five, 10 years, the period, which is awesome. And so we've been deliberately kind of under the radar, which is kind of funny for a marketing company, but we wanted to kind of just focus on product, focus on the work, really crush it and have no distractions. But we're probably gonna do a little more of a, of a coming out party, so to speak, on the Packy podcast. Yeah, but you know, a little bit of a coming out party where people kind of realize you know, what we built and that you know, we are, again, not just a, not just a leader in, in, in the marketing category, but we really are a leader, period, in, in terms of future of work, for sure, you know, cloud talent platforms. The marketer strategy is, is such an interesting one. First of all, you, your ads are everywhere. So I guess where they perform, you're doubling down. It's a great thing about being a team of great marketers is that, you know, you're able to kind of figure out where to spend the money. Obviously I've been a beneficiary of that with, with, with not boring, but on the fundraising side and all of like the typical kind of noisy startup things, you really haven't done that. I think you haven't raised really a price round from a big kind of big name lead investor. What's the thinking behind that? Yeah, you know, we've, and, and it's, been, it's been really fun because you know, myself, my co-founders, you know, Raja, Viral, Darren, you know, we, we've been doing this for, we've been serial entrepreneurs and, you know, half the successes, you know, we're all, we're all in our 40s, you know, we, we've, we've been around, right? And, you know, built up networks, built up confidence, built up VCs. And, you know, I, I saw this as really like, a, like an opportunity to do all the things the way that we thought was really the best way that they would be done with a, with a, zeroing in on like really how again we're building a tech startup our focus is how do we build the biggest possible company right that's what we're all getting into when, when we sign up for this otherwise just you know i'll, I'll go back to wearing my agency and take it back right and so i think the, the, the biggest for this product it made sense for a few reasons you know one i felt like you know again two and a half years ago that no doubt the, all the things that were kind of fueling the future of work so democratization of a few of a number of things creation and a million other things was also going to very clearly democratize investment too, right? And suddenly everyone's like, well, I would love to be, you know, I've gone in on Uber, right? Like, there's no chance of that, like 10 years ago, right? Like, like you would have to have been in the New York scene in a very specific co-working space to like know Travis or whoever, right? Whereas now, like, again, digital internet, it's access to everything. Like, you're a beneficiary of this to the nth degree. Like, everyone's just like angel investing, like, almost as like BD, right? Yeah. Like it was just like taking checks around and, and you know, seeing who gets up holding the bag. But, you know, we're very well connected. And, and it was such a great business to have sort of this like scaled, weaponized party round. I think we're seeing more and more of that now where you're like, look, there's so many influential people, people building personal brands, people building even just Twitter following, right? Like raising huge funds with Twitter following, like it's, it's weaponized. The network effect is hitting the investment layer. And so kind of, again, if you kind of just, I like to kind of put tech back on itself, tech cliches back on themselves. If you value on the one side for our product, agility, being lean, being data-driven, quickly changing, that's how, it, apply that to your hiring and use my platform. Just do it. Don't, don't tell me you're trying to find a rock star for five years because otherwise you're a liar, right? So, so 
do the time platform. That's one. Two, if you tell me that you value the power of network effects, right? Then why are you anti-party round? Right? Because if I can put together a network of folks with a product where every startup you know and every company you know is having trouble hiring marketers, every single one, right? But every single one. So why wouldn't I want a big network of folks who can tell other people and bring their portfolios in and tell their friends and tell their friends and get those network effects at the, at, at the investor level on the cap table? Why wouldn't I want that? Well, previously, because the people with those reaches didn't exist in such a high volume, right? You didn't exist. You wouldn't have been existed. Not boring would not be a thing. Not boring capital would not be have been a thing. How long ago? A year and a half. I mean, Even not boring capital six months ago, right? Yeah, it's all very new. It's all, it's all surging here. So the, the investors weren't there who could be used this way. And, and, the, and the sensibility wasn't there that could be used this way. And also stuff like Carta and just some very simple things of like, it would have been a huge pain in the ass to manage like a bunch of signatures, like all those things, like do the most progressive thing, right? It's kind of like the hiring thing. Well, the reason why I don't do that is because the paperwork's annoying. Like that's a bad answer, right? Yeah. Like, that's a really bad answer. If I was like, well, I have to create so many, you know, so many safe note agreements. Like, well, that's a really bad answer. If it's going to be really valuable, but you can't be bothered doing the paperwork, that seems like a bad answer, yeah. right? And then there's just a ton of capital everywhere. I don't think my battery, my little light went out, but there's just a ton of capital everywhere. So if we don't need it to raise the capital, we can be more agile, more flexible. We can get network, you know, we've been really happy with that. And so we're not, we're not against, I'm not against, you know, a big VC round or a big round in general. I'm not against that at all. I'm just laser focused, kind of like with our product. I'm laser focused on making sure our product does the thing. And there's some sort of capital strategy. I'm laser focused on our capital strategy doing the thing. That's putting money in the bank when we need it. And then it's like, what extras can I get from capital? And to me, that's like referrals and a bunch of other stuff that I come, you know, intelligence that comes with that. And I just seen that that network round was a better way to do that. And again, we have the network to put those rounds together because the other one was, well, you know, I, I might not have the network or it takes longer to go and raise that. So I'd rather get one big check. That is true for a lot of people. That's not, hasn't been true for us. So again, like, you know, fall for the root thing. And that's what we're doing here as well. And I mean, the other, the other piece of it too, is you're in a really good spot where there's probably not a lot of venture capitalists out there who understand marketing and the landscape better than you do. So it's not like you're getting a ton of value by bringing somebody onto the board. You're experienced, you've done this before. And so you have the luxury of being able to kind of pick and choose investors like that. Exactly right. And I, you know, it's not that they don't, they're not smart. I just, we just have a lot of, you know, we have plenty of people that we turn to for advice and people I know, people I know, some of them are VCs, right? Like, does the quarterly board meeting like add that much value? Like, you know, for some, yes, you know, for us less so. And so, you know, again, I, I very much focused when I think about our capital strategy on what allows us to build the biggest possible company, the fastest. And, you know, time and time again, when we evaluate it, we, we land on, you know, well-networked round that can shout about getting you on podcasts, right. With you, right. Like it just keeps, coming through. And I think it's the future. I mean, I don't think, I think it's very obvious to anyone that it's the future of, you know, entrepreneurship funding. It is this, right? The democratization of it. And you see folks like Anderson and others, like adding all these things that aren't capital in order to get some of that action, you know, continuing to come to them. And of course there will always be room for just a big check coming from someone. It's always going to be that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just, you know, for all like ours, where it's so easy to talk about and refer to over and over again, you know, all of our investors are like little advocates, you know, at any dinner they go to, they, they always tell us like, it's so crazy how often, like we're the portfolio company that they are able to bring up the most organically because it just keeps coming up. Right. And so like, that's really awesome. So for the last question of the kind of inaugural podcast of the restart of not boring <laughs> founders, I mean, what is what does market hire look like in in five years? Yeah, you know, I think I think some of it is you know fairly standard marketplace motion. You know, the core product, of course, is our focus. I mean, it's still early days for us. There's so much more we want to do there. Applications of you know, very classic AI, machine learning, get better and better, of course. But you know, like any marketplace, it will, you know, it will probably not in not too distant future evolve from an ecosystem perspective. So you know, every marketplace 
wants to add things it can sell to the people who come to the marketplace, right? You know, Amazon books, right? Uber rides, and even like you could say Uber pool is like an add-on, but really like Uber eats and other stuff. So, you know, bikes and planes, I guess we add as well. But, you know, for us, like what do we add in the ecosystem? And then I also, you know, I also very much have a lot of interest and a lot of thoughts around marketing as infrastructure. And so, you know, this thing that kind of to one of your earlier questions is often seen as like, okay, it's becoming more quantitative, but it's still like an art and a science and blah, 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 blah. But actually there are a lot of ways that can become infrastructure. It bec- you know, how, how do we make it become something that's like payments or like FinTech? Right? Is, it, is it data that's powering it? Is it, is it an action like checkout and payments that, that, that we can come up with that powers a certain thing? And you're seeing so much interest in that space. I mean, so many, I get sent, I'm getting sent so many more MarTech founders who are like, engineer amazing engineers from bang and different companies who probably would never have been building martech before but now they're like well i've got this idea of technology and the application i think best suits it from business perspective is is the marketing industry it's going to be you know ai for picking your ad images or it's going to be some other way to look at your ad spend data there's just so much money you know it's just such a again it's an apex predator and so i think everyone else is realizing that it's such a great gateway and so, you know, if our mission is to make, well, I'm said, but our mission is to make, you know, marketing accessible, make great marketing accessible. And this belief that if we, you know, creation has been to marketize, so anyone can make something now, anyone can put something on sale, marketing from a platform perspective, like it's accessible in terms of you can do it, but can you do it well? You know, I really think the future is like, if we continue on this path, continue growing, flesh out our ecosystem, build out APIs and infrastructure things that you know, really allows to, to spread our reach of, had, of being the company, the seminal company that's making marketing, you know, effective marketing accessible through people, through technology, through data, through infrastructure. We will be very much like platforms like a Shopify or even like a Facebook where they facilitate creation and then people create on top of it. Well, if we facilitate distribution, it will necessarily also lead to more creation, right? Like, how, like you know, if you have a friend thinking of starting an e-commerce brand right now, their problem is not like, well, how do I do that? Right? Because like, well, Shopify site, Facebook ads, go, you know, go on Alibaba, whatever. They don't do it. Everyone's jumping very quickly now to, well, how do I sell? Right? Like, how do I even get someone? How do I get customers? Right? Very, very classically, how do I get customers? And so we're now, you know, our goal is to be the answer to that. Right? We, 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 wanna, we, want, we wanna be the instant answer to that. And if we can do that, we will, we will facilitate an entire new generation of creators, because once you know you can sell it, that is that is now one of the bigger hurdles to actually creating it, right? And so like, that's kind of the big thing that we're really uh, kind of having the, uh, on, on so our North Star is like, that's the moment we know we've achieved our biggest ambitions is people are creating products and businesses because they know market of hire exists, right? They're like, if I could just put a thousand dollars into it, I know I can get someone from there and, sell, and I can start selling it. Like that's incredible, right? So that's kind of what, you know, hoping that, you know, within the next five years, we can that I am, could not be more thankful about, you know, the fact that we got to meet through Marketer Hire and you deciding to, you know, sponsor Not Boring, that your fundraising strategy was welcoming to someone like me even before I had the fund, that we've gotten to know each other. And, you know, I could not be more excited for the future of Marketer Hire. Couldn't be happier to, to have you on. So Chris, thank you so much. Yeah, of course.